Are you a developer or conversational designer looking to excel in the latest AI platforms? Or maybe you're in marketing looking for the latest in audio branding and customer engagement. Or maybe you're a startup, a business owner, an investor, or simply want to know about the future of voice technology. Then Voice Summit held in Newark, New Jersey this July is for you. Get your ticket at voicesummit.ai. That's voicesummit.ai. We can't wait to hear your voice and meet you at the conference. Inside Voice podcast listeners, this is one of your co-hosts, Carrie Roberts. I am so excited. Voice Summit starts tomorrow, July 22nd to July 25th, 2019 in Newark, New Jersey. If you have not gotten your ticket yet, it's not too late. You can still get a ticket. Go to voicesummit.ai, voicesummit.ai and get your ticket. Come join us. This is such an amazing event and it is filled with not only people that are creating and designing voice technology, but various marketers, branders, entrepreneurs. And it's definitely one of the events that I've been to where I feel like there is just so many creative people and so many people want to connect. They want to interact with everybody. So I encourage you to come on out, come see myself um, and anyone else that you've heard on this podcast. We will be wearing Motive t-shirts, those of us that are going to be working the event. So come up, say hello, ask us who you'd like us to connect you with. We'd be happy to do that. We'd love to see you, voicesummit.ai. So today we have one more bonus episode for you. One of our co-hosts, James, was interviewed on another podcast where he talked more about his passion for voice and really what to expect for our event this week. So enjoy, and I hope to see you all later this week. Hello, good afternoon, Marlo. Hello, the web. How are we all? Welcome again to Sand Talks Technology, and I'm really excited. I've got a very special guest with me today. His name's James Poulter. He's a voice expert, and you're going to find out so much about voice and smart assistants and the future of voice, I really. Now, before we start, and let me give a little introduction to James. James is CEO and co-founder of Vixen Labs. It's a voice-first consultancy. Um, we're going to find out when that was formed. I wasn't quite sure. Um, but he's also um, he's also the director of a very exciting, or he's a co-director of a very exciting voice summit that's going to happen in New York next week with 5,000 attendees. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, James, welcome. Hello. How are you? Hi Sam, really good to be with you this afternoon and thanks for the opportunity to chat about this this area of technology which I think for lots of us we're beginning to live with and live alongside uh, but don't necessarily understand in its fullest. So yeah, really excited to have the opportunity to really share about kind of how the conversational way of you know, talking to our technology is changing how we're working, how we're playing, how we're learning in some cases as well and for many of us doing business. So very excited to be with you this afternoon. Brilliant. Look, let's start off with um, when did you get into voice? What is what is what, how do you define voice? And what did you when did you get into it? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think many people um, they might hear the word voice technology and they will. Well, what do you mean? Are you talking about when I pick up the phone and to talk to a customer service desk, or am I talking to maybe one of those devices you might even be listening to us on this afternoon, or whenever you're listening to the show uh, on like an Alexa? Um, from Google uh, or Google Assistant or an Amazon Alexa. 
Um, and so I first got into this area of technology really um, in earnest about two years ago, about the start of 2017. Uh, in the previous role that I was in, I was working for Lego, the toy company, which I'm sure many people will know. You might have stood on <laughs> some of it at some point. Um, and during that period of time, I was working there looking after um, an area of technology we called emerging technologies. So looking at these new classes of devices, these new types of interactions that were beginning to come out. Uh, and in particular, was really focused on uh, how things like smart speakers and smart assistants might change the way in which we talk to one another every day, talk to our technology, uh, and get hold of the content that we want to listen to or watch or interact with. And so we started out there um, working on these projects, um, beginning to make what are known as Alexa skills, uh, which some people may, may be familiar with. You may have used one if you have one of these devices. Um, but essentially, these are a voice applications like you would have on your mobile phone, but they are purely interacted with, with your voice. Some of them have only audio in them. Some of them have audio and also video. If you've got a device that has a screen or if you're using it on your mobile phone, you might see something on the screen. But predominantly, we're talking about something that is used um, through your voice. And so I got started uh, exploring that project. And when I was at Lego, we built a number of projects uh, there, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about later. And uh, then in October last year, I decided to uh, take uh, my time away from Lego and uh, form a business uh, called uh, Vixen Labs, as you mentioned at the top, uh, with my co-founder, Jen. And we're uh, what we call a voice-first consultancy uh, based uh, in central London. And, and the reason we call it a voice-first consultancy is because we are helping uh, global brands uh, such as the music labels that many people would be familiar with um, and companies like Diageo and the BBC with developing new experiences for these voice assistant platforms and products. Um, and because we call them voice first, because that's the primary way that you interact with them. But isn't necessarily the only way that you can interact with them. Obviously, we're seeing lots more devices coming out, and I'm sure we're going to get into all of this during the course of the show. But that's what we decided to do, um, was to come out and, and start a, a consultancy. And we're one of the first full-service digital agencies that are focused on voice technology um, in the UK. We're seeing a number of people beginning to start these businesses in other markets as well. And as part of that uh, work, I also got the opportunity to join the director team for Voice Summit, as you mentioned, which happens next week in Newark, New Jersey, just on the other side of the Hudson from uh, Manhattan. And um, we've got an amazing lineup of people, now 5,000 folks coming from all across the country and around the world to really discuss this topic over four days uh, with an award ceremony and uh, headline sponsorship from all those big platforms that I've mentioned already, Amazon, Samsung, Microsoft, Sonos, uh, and many, many more that I'm sure um, you, you would know of um, if we went through them all, but we don't have the time for it. So that's uh, that's what we're, we're working on next week. And there uh, will be a really exciting time for people who are just getting started in this area, whether you're a small business, uh, whether you're an individual creator, um, or a really big company. Uh, there's lots of opportunities to get involved in voice technology. And that's why we've been so passionate about starting a number of businesses in this area. Cool. Um, Vixen Lab sounds brilliant. Um, and you also run events locally in the UK, don't you? Just so we can clarify these up. So how often do you run <laughs> yeah, events in the UK and, and, and where do they happen, I guess? We do indeed, yeah. We've been running events now for nearly a year all over the country. Um, most recently up at BBC uh, in Manchester. 
at, in Salford Keys at the, at the main uh, site there. And uh, we're bringing something also to Halifax, I think, probably in uh, the end of August. Um, and those are a part of both the Voice Summit and also a community that we run called Voice 2, which is for people who are interested in this area of technology and wanting to get started in it. So uh, you can find out more about both of those things if you go to voice2.io on the web um, and that's voice the number two dot io and uh, you can go register your interest there and join the community and we've started that because we realize that it's not too dissimilar to the way that um, many of us started out in other areas of technology um, and sam you know this is where you and i met in fact i think you know through the early days of the social media communities on twitter and on um, facebook you know back in when it was just the first start of people beginning to try and dabble with these things getting started in it and the voice technology area is very similar to that in many senses today that the community of people who are coming into it are coming from all sorts of backgrounds which is really fascinating and more varied i think than the social media we have people who are journalists who are pivoting into working in voice because they see it's a new way of distributing things like podcasts or creating uh, these things we know as flash briefings and um, one of our team sue's keeper here who produces flash briefings all the time you know she's um producing those for all sorts of different news publications because it's a new way of getting your news every day. So we're seeing people enter into that from the journalism space. But we're also seeing people move across from other traditional digital industries like, uh, you know, kind of UX or so user experience practitioners, uh, researchers, uh, and many more. And in the long term, we think that we're going to see a whole new class of people who start their careers in voice. Um, the work that my colleague Jen uh, does through something called Career Foundry, which I'm sure many people listening might have tried some courses on Career Foundry. We're seeing people just getting started as graduates wanting to launch straight into voice as their career because they see the prevalence of these technologies. So yeah, the Voice 2 community is there to serve those people. And, and more broadly than that, we see that the community of people working in voice overall is growing at a massive rate as more and more people are realizing that this might be in the future the predominant way that we interact with our technology. And that might seem like a, a maybe overambitious statement at the moment. <laughs> but I think that actually, and, and you would be um, you know, right, to, right to chuckle at it because uh, you know, for most of us, I think we find that, what we, that this artificial intelligence that we live with every day is pretty artificial and, and not very intelligent most exactly. of the time. Exactly, yes. Um, but what we are seeing is that um, as this technology gets smarter, as all of us talk to our Alexa and Google devices and others more often, that actually there is a potential that voice could become the primary way that we interact with our technology. And, and what I mean by that is this could be the thing that replaces the mouse and keyboard. It could be the thing that replaces um, the touch screen uh, or at least touching a screen in many places and not that necessarily screens are going anywhere at all in fact probably we'll see even more screens around in different form factors but be able to interact with them with our voices so we definitely see this as being a massive growth area and a new uh, new industry in and of itself and i think that that's a, a really heartening thing because so many people are worried that automation and ai is going to take away jobs and that there will be less um, you know industry being created but actually there's so much opportunity for people to to create these new ways of interacting with technology. And so that's what we're excited about. Yeah, I'm, I'm equally excited. I, I agree. Um, it is going to change the way that we interact. Um, do you remember when you first got your Alexa, what your feeling was? 
yes i i first got an alexa towards the end of 2016 and they weren't actually out in the uk i had a friend of mine who was living in in the us brought one over for me so i could get trying it out and it didn't do very much to be honest um because it was not built to to work in the uk it thought that i was living somewhere in seattle in washington dc or you know somewhere it didn't understand where i was so not a lot of it worked but what, one of the first things I, I hooked up when I first got one, I'm sure this is what many people have done themselves, is I bought one of these smart, uh, smart light bulbs um, and a smart switch uh, for one of my plugs. And I set it up in my living room so that I could just turn the lights off as I left the room in the evening rather than walking around and flicking off four or five different lamps you know, around the house. And I remember the first moment that I did that um, where I just said, you know, Alexa, turn off the lights just wait for a moment while whoever has been plunged into darkness as I've said that out loud I'm just speaking sorry um, but um, the first time that I said that uh, you know it was just a little bit of magic it was like this is what we've been waiting for in technology now obviously um, the trough of dis- disillusionment that we often talk about has, has entered in um, since that time because I think as I've added more things to my system at home it's got more complex and therefore breaks more often but Okay, I'm, I'm fine. That I'm a house manager now. Never thought I'd be the house yeah. IT manager. <laughs> yeah, everyone has one. It's good if you're. It's it's good to have an IT manager. It's just not great if you are the household IT manager. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I think that the first time that I used that, I was really fascinated. And I think the reason that I'm I'm so interested in this area is because as screens have become so much more prevalent in our lives, our attention is under attack, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we all feel it, that we are constantly pressured from all sides to be paying attention to something more often, that we've constantly got the sense that we are, um, you know, what is someone um, that once coined the phrase near partial attention, right? It's that we, yeah, we, we're always kind of paying attention exactly. to something, but we're never really paying attention to something um, holistically. Sorry, what did uh, you so- say? <laughs> Sorry, uh, nearly just... you're nearly happy there. <laughs> and um, it, it, when when talking over the internet, it's always difficult to know what's going on. And so um, this the thing that fascinates me with the voice technology is that it, we're beginning to see, and it's very early, but we are beginning to see that this could be the first fruits of something that could help be the antidote to some of that screen fatigue some of that attention deficit that we're all dealing with and potentially is a more human way of, of getting around the internet and, and navigating our day with, with technology around us. Because you know, whether or not you subscribe to this idea of kind of digital minimalism, a brilliant book by Cal Newport, which I, I highly recommend that came out earlier this year around that topic of digital minimalism, the idea of cutting the cord, getting away from technology and being much more focused around what we use. You could either subscribe to that as a very militant way of thinking about it, but more broadly, for most people, this can be the antidote to just a few of those apps that we don't need, a few of those times that we would otherwise pick up our phone to control the music or the lights in our home or to check our bank balance or uh, order a, a cup of coffee in advance or whatever it might be. These are all moments where at the moment, for most of us, we're still picking up a device. And the minute that we pick up that device, we get the little you know, endorphin notifications, yeah, you know, um, notification, and suddenly we're doing something else that we weren't intending to do. You know, your your wife turns to you in the living room and says, "Darling, can you just remind yourself later on to uh, you know put the bins out?" And you pick up your phone and put a reminder in. And oh, hang on a minute! No, all of a sudden I'm scrolling on Instagram because there it is, and the hook has been you know so um, well crafted that it lures us in. 
But what we see with voice is that because then none of those visual cues necessarily are there, or at least we are not tempted to reach and pick up a device, we're not actually you know, kind of having a contact with it physically, that there isn't the same um, you know, kind of either kinetic cue for the brain for us to kind of go and do something by tapping and swiping, or that the visual cues, that you know, kind of that rush of color, the alerts, the sounds, etc., aren't luring us into another task. And so that means that this voice technology can potentially be less distracting um, and less addictive overall. And I think that that's why we've seen particularly a lot of families um, you know, looking at um, voice technology for their kids as an antidote to iPad time or other screen time, um, you know, getting people back to listening to stories, getting people back to listening to music, because it's something that can consume our attention in a much more um, you know, kind of complementary way to living our lives without necessarily sucking our attention away from you know, the people around us, particularly you know, if we're sharing a space with somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I I fully agree. I think uh, we have to find a way of de-screening ourselves uh, and being more present and in the moment. Um, I mean, if the president of the United States, the old one, the best one, President Obama, could make one hour to put his phone down and be present with his family, I'm sure the rest of us can do that as well. Um, <laughs> I do remember the first time I got my Alexa, it was, and I just simply asked it to play music and the fact that it played it instantly. Now, I'd been disappointed by Siri um, and by other technologies before, you know, like Dragon Dictate and various other ones where the hope and the prayer of it actually listening to me, understanding me, and then doing something, just I'd, I'd given up. I, you know, I've got Siri on this laptop. It doesn't doesn't have a place in my life. I don't use it. Although, strangely, um, and we'll come back to it maybe later, Mac OS 13, the new beta, has added voice controls through accessibility. But that's another topic to come to later. Um, okay, so apart from we all did it and uh, you know those of us who are technical went and bought the lamps the the nests the ring doorbells integrated them all together annoyed our families totally screamed at every one of our family if they dared to touch a light switch that was linked to a light that had a sensor because then it stopped the sensor working um (laughs) but once you've connected all up and i think my alexa app looks like you know half half a mile long of devices um what else do you use your Alexa for? We've got to that point where Prime Day was yesterday. I actually didn't have or bought a thing because I haven't got anything else to buy. I literally <laughs> have bought everything I could think of. So That's right. And I think that, I, I mean, I think, Sam, you and I probably sit in, and probably for many people listening, you might be an early adopter, you know, kind of mentality. But um, I think we, we're still very much the minority. And I think that that's still the case. So we see that in the, uh, the United States, um, it's around about a quarter of households now have one of these devices. In the UK, it's much closer to like a sixth of the country. But that still represents a, a significant proportion of the population. You know, you're talking nearing kind of 10 million um, you know, kind of people who have access to one of these devices in the UK now um, in their home. And for those that do have one, what's really interesting is we see that there's a very high percentage of people that then are thinking about buying another one. Once you have one in one room, you want something probably in another room so that you have that kind of continued experience when you're moving from, say, doing something in the kitchen, like setting a timer for the oven through to the bedroom where you suddenly want to turn on the radio, listen to Marlow FM, tune into Sam Talks Tech in the afternoon. Thanks for the plug. I appreciate that it. You, um, that, you, know, you might, um, as you move into the other room, you want that continued experience. You don't want to be yelling at the radio from the other room, right? 
So we, we do see that as people buy one, they buy more. But what they use with those things over time begins to cement really around daily habits and routines. And I think that this is the big opportunity for lots of us. There's a fantastic book um, uh, that released uh, earlier this year by James Clear uh, called Atomic Habits. And it talks about this idea of habit stacking. And what is habit stacking? Habit stacking is basically that if you want to form a habit with something, that it's a lot easier to find an existing habit that you already have and add something to that, kind of like daisy chaining habits together, if you will. And what we're finding is that when people begin to do that with voice technology, that they begin to use it in a much more habitual way than they would have done otherwise. So take, for example, um, my, my home in the morning. When I walk into my bathroom, I've got a little Google Home Mini, the little one that looks like a kind of hockey puck. Um, mounted on the the bathroom wall um, using a a variety of different plug adapters to go into a shaver outlet because us here in the UK without our kind of plugs in in the the bathroom, you have to kind of work around that. (laughs) But I've got over that. And And you're going to have to tell me how to do that because that's the last bit I haven't worked out. So we'll do that offline. (laughs) Okay, I'll I'll publish a guide somewhere. And... um, (laughs) So what I do is I walk into the bathroom in the morning and I know that I don't want, you know, usually in my morning, I know I've got like five or six minutes, jump in the shower, kind of get out and be ready for my day because I've got to get the kids out to nursery and school and, you know, kind of get on my way to the office. And so I know that if I say, hey, Google, get the news or hey, Google, good morning, which I've set up these routines on my devices, I know that I'm going to get a kind of rundown of here's the weather. It's going to go turn the lights on in the in the bedroom because I've, t- I've switched it on to do that. It's going to read me the the Bible verse of the day from the version app, and then it is going to go straight into playing Radio 4. And so I then instantly know what time it is because Radio 4 announced the time every three minutes or something. And um, and I'm on with my morning. And, and I know exactly what's going to happen because I know how long I've been in the shower. I know that I've got all my information. I'm hopping out. And now that's become so habitual that the minute I walk into the bathroom for the first time in the morning, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, hey, Google, good morning. And I'm getting that kind of routine. That's just one example. But we see that happening all over the place from people now with voice in the car, jumping into their car and set, you know, using voice commands to get to their destination, like drive me home. Or you know, even for those of you that don't have a, a car with a smart integration necessarily, if you're using an app like Waze, being able to talk to Waze, being able to say, okay, Waze, you know, take me home or take me to you know, kind of Marlow Town Centre. Like these are commands that you can already do. So we're beginning to see these little triggers linked together, this idea of you know, trigger, action, reward, trigger, action, reward. It's this kind of constant cycle that we see people going through. And as that habit loop begins to build, um, voice can be the link that goes through those different moments um, in the day. And so we are seeing people begin to do many more things with their, um, their devices because people are developing more quality applications that really can add value in those moments throughout the day. Um, and so that's where we're beginning to see uh, that the first opportunities for that, whether that's utilities like booking tickets, for example, for say uh, through the Ticketmaster skill, being able to book your uh, your, your um, concert tickets through to Virgin Trains, being able to book your you know, train line, well, for, for now at least, until <laughs> not for much longer. Um, but you know, being able to do these different things. Um, so commerce, we're beginning to see people kind of get into. But a lot of the stuff is convenience. It's just quicker and easier to say, Alexa, get me an Uber. Um, rather than open up the app and go through all of that pro- you know, process. Uber knows where you are because you're in your home. You've set it up because it knows which uh, address you're at. And you can just say, get me an Uber. And it knows where you're going to go. So we are beginning to see, I think, people doing more complex, interesting things uh, with their devices. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think those routines in the morning are, are 
great ways to show people. Now, you talked about as an agency, you build flash briefings. Can you explain to those people who don't know what a flash briefing is and how you might integrate that into your routine? Because I've got a few flash briefings that I use and I've written my own one and they work great. And I, and like you said, you use a, a Bible one as well. So, but what is a flash briefing and what's the difference between that and a skill, let's say. Let's start with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, so let's talk about kind of voice apps in general. Um, so, you know, most people know um, uh, ha- or understand the idea of an app, right? It's a small application that runs on, on your device. Um, voice apps are not too dissimilar to that apart from they don't take up any space on the device. <laughs> so they, they live in the cloud entirely. They can be updated all the time. And a voice app on, on the Alexa platform, the Amazon platform is known as a skill. If you're on Google, um, the Google Home uh, or Google Assistant platform is known as an action. But essentially, we're talking about an app. And these are some, they can be very simple, um, like I say, such as get me an Uber, and it literally just orders an Uber, through to something much more complicated. We, we developed something earlier this year for Talisker Whiskey uh, in conjunctions with our partners at Say It Now and Diageo, um, who are the big drinks manufacturer. And Talisker is a single malt scotch, um, and they have a tasting experience if you go to visit the Isle of Skye. And um, that's a, that when you go to the, uh, the actual distillery, you get taken through this whole process of trying the whiskey, looking at its color, understanding its clarity. Uh, and we built an entire experience of doing that on Alexa now. So you can actually get walked through that by one of the distillers from, from the Isle of Skye. So that's much more complicated. And then there's this other category of um, apps, as you mentioned, called flash briefings or news updates um, if you're on Google. And the flash briefing is a, kind of what it sounds. It is a very quick brief um, of news or content. And that could be many different things. Um, people might want to go try, for example, the uh, History Channel's Today in History flash briefing. That's a fantastic one, which basically just tells you a little bit about what happened on this day at some point in history. Um, if you are, um, you know, like I mentioned, uh, version, which is the, the world's largest Bible application, has a verse of the day um, flash briefing that you can go subscribe to. Uh, or you, many of the major national newspapers and radio broadcasters now having these uh, flash briefings. Uh, for example, if you subscribe to, say, Al Jazeera, they have a flash briefing called Your World, um, which is one of the ones that will give you a kind of four minutes um, update, which is four different stories, a couple that you might have heard of in the news, a couple that you won't have done. So there's lots of different um, variety of content. But what's really interesting when playing around with these is that you can string them together and essentially create your morning news or your evening news or whenever you want to want to dial into it just by saying, get me the news and you get run down each of these in order. So you're essentially curating a kind of audio magazine, if you like, um, of something that you can kind of listen to in the morning. Um, yeah, and I think, I think they're, they're useful. I, I'm going to come back and ask you about what's the percentage of people are doing it maybe and and what's the uptake to the value to the brand but before i do it i just got a more simple question pepsi versus coke um google versus amazon um why did you choose google for home i mean i'm i'm all in on the amazon alexa i've got six at home i think i've got one in the car i've got you know why why google you're you're the voice expert why would you go down that road Oh, I'm not. I'm, I don't pick. Uh, I'm not having any allegiances. So I think in, in my house, I think at current count, there is a Google Home um, 
with a screen so the Google Home Hub in the kitchen. There's a Sonos one with Amazon Alexa in the kitchen as well. Uh, then we have like three other Sonos speakers that have a mixture of Google Assistant Amazon running on them in different rooms. Uh, and then my kids have an Amazon Echo um, in their bedroom and there's a, a Google Home Mini in the bathroom. So we, we definitely play the field when it comes to these voice assistants. Okay. Um, and, and I work in this area, so you would expect me to do so. But I think the thing that the diff- maybe to just kind of underline for people that are first getting into this space, the differences between them, because there are some differences. They're not, they're not exactly the same, although they have a lot of shared functionality, is that these are developed by two different companies that come from two different mindsets. And I think that's important for us to kind of outline. Um, Amazon comes from a predominantly a, a shopping um, mindset. It has been built off of the Amazon ecosystem as primarily helping you purchase or consume content or products that are there to you know, kind of fit into your everyday life. And so therefore, it is massively geared towards helping people do those things. Whereas Google has always, you know, their mission, as they've said many times, is about you know, organizing the world's information. And now with the assistant talking much more about not just providing the world information, but providing the world assistance and answers. And so therefore, it is a lot more focused around answering questions and around knowledge. Um, and so therefore, better and, and worse at certain things. Um, and I think that those core differences are, are often what dictate which way people go in terms of buying which device that they choose to go for because it sets up um, a different precedent. If you are going for something where you want to be, you know, if you're a Google user, if you're using Gmail a lot, if you're using Google Calendar a lot at home, maybe you use uh, Waze and Google Maps a ton, then you know, the Google ecosystem for your assistant makes a lot of sense. Um, if you are, however, a really heavy Amazon Prime user, maybe you have Prime Video as a subscription, or you've got um, a lot of kids wanting to use the devices as well, then the Alexa ecosystem might help you better because there's a lot more options there. So it really is a horses for courses kind of situation. There is no right or wrong answer to that. And both of these companies are putting massive investments into these areas and growing them substantially. So every single week, there is something new happening on each of these platforms. And that's kind of one of the reasons why we founded Vixen Labs in the first place is to help brands and companies and organizations, influencers and individuals actually be able to keep up with that pace of change because it's much quicker adoption and much quicker change cycles in in voice than we've seen in many other areas of technology. And so um, for that reason, you need to be able to stay on top of it. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm glad that you've got both at home. I'm going to ask you another question related to that in a minute. Um, In terms of numbers, there's a 58% growth rate year on year in sales for smart assistants between 2018 and 2019. It's just going, I think it's going to get to the point where you practically give them away. I think they were at £13 on the Prime Day yesterday. Yeah, on Prime Day yesterday, yeah, we saw the Echo Dot, I think, was as low as £22. The previous generation or refurbished was cheaper than that um, yesterday, the, the new device you mentioned, the Echo Show 5, which is a five inch touch screen display version of the Echo device that was only released on the middle of July, um, sorry, middle of June, um, you know, they're on Prime Day already being discated down um, down to uh, 49 yeah. or, or something along those lines. So, yeah, no, I was gutted because I paid full price. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, it really is um, some very aggressive pricing that we're seeing from both of the main platforms. And it's understandable because they want to get this adoption in um, early. They want to see people using the devices. And then, um, yeah, it's a virtuous circle. The more people use them, the more people are likely to pick them up. So, um, as a result, 
we're going to see that kind of, I think, process of it re, um, you know, be developed and, and new experiences coming online faster and faster as more and more people pick these up. And I think that as you head towards, obviously, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and then the Christmas run-up this year, um, that will be the kind of fourth major cycle that we've had of people buying these devices. Um, you know, and in the UK, it's only the, the, really the third major Christmas period that people have had the opportunity to buy them. You could, all, to be honest, say only really the second as they really only begin to reach real kind of past the early adopter kind of notoriety out in pop culture last Christmas. Um, you, know, you see people kind of including them in their advertising, mentioning them much more. Um, so I'm really intrigued to see what we um, you know, kind of get when it comes to bumping those numbers this year. Um, I think Prime Day will have had a big influence on that. number of their devices on the Amazon side were already sold out. There's already two to three week waiting lists for that, um, some of those products now. Um, so we're going to see, I think, a massive uptake again this year. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, an asset test. I've got two friends of mine who are non-technical and they were late adopters to the iPhone. I know when they buy an Alexa that it's actually jumped into consumer consciousness. So they haven't quite got there yet. Um, interestingly enough, in Europe, they, they predict 23 million sales of smart assistants uh, with the split actually going 45% Google and 41% Echo um, and then 13% other. What is the other? Yeah. Are you a Siri, Bixby, or Cortana user? Um, so I'm definitely a Siri user. Uh, I use Siri a ton, actually, on my iPhone and uh, on my iPad uh, for dictating uh, messages, for opening up apps, for making calls, a variety of things. Um, so I'm definitely a Siri user. Um, and what you've cited there, those stats, it's interesting because it, you know, the Google ecosystem definitely is gaining traction uh, compared to Amazon. <laughs> Um, but Amazon's still far and away in terms of volume, um, and one of the, the largest kind of uh, you know, providers. But what's fascinating about the, um, the other players, as you mentioned, there are other players in this space. And it depends on whether or not you're talking about the assistants themselves or people who make the devices on which those assistants live. And that's where people sometimes can get confused with this ecosystem. So you have the, the kind of first party devices from Google and Amazon. So the Google Home brand or the Google, uh, sorry, the Alexa brand, Echo brand from uh, Amazon. And then there is a whole plethora of different device manufacturers integrating those two virtual assistants into their own products. For example, the LG smart displays, or if you talk about, for example, Bose headphones now having Alexa integrated into them. Also, you can get those from Jabra, Harmacon, various other people as well. So we're seeing Alexa um, and Google assistants show up in other device classes, like headphones, like microwaves, <laughs> uh, clocks in some cases, all varieties different places. And then there are the other smart assistants. So Bixby, obviously, is a big one. People are beginning to you know, look at that as potentially the That's third the one on the Samsung device. platform. On the Samsung devices, exactly. And that's not just on Samsung smart um, phones, but also on their own speaker devices. And then, as you mentioned, Siri and the HomePod, which is Apple's competitor in this space, still very much far behind compared to the front runners um, in Amazon and Google. But we are seeing adoption of those things. Um, and so, I don't think that it's always going to be a two-horse race, but for whoever's coming up in those third, fourth, or fifth positions, there is a long way to go uh, to kind of catch up with the kind of um, you know, kind of Hamilton-level lead that um, <laughs> that Amazon has established yeah. uh, in this past uh, couple of years. And I think that every, uh, you know, as I say, every kind of holiday cycle that turns around, and we see Amazon and Google extending that lead quite significantly. Um, what about? China. 
what are they doing over there? I know Baidu have a platform, and I don't know how to say it, Jaidu Smart Speaker, X-I-A-O-D-U, um, however yeah, you say that. Jaidu, yeah. um, and they've just updated the operating system to version 5, and they're looking at about 400 million devices that have their voice platform on it. I mean, we sort of forget about China a lot, but they are a massive market in AI and a massive market in in technology for mobile phones and clearly massive in smart speakers. Absolutely. There's there's a big option there, that, and but the, the players are entirely different. So um, for anyone that isn't familiar, you know, the main platforms that you're definitely going to see come up there are, um, yeah, as you mentioned, um, the, the Baidu platform, Alibaba, the big retailer in China, which is the kind of China's equivalent to Amazon, have their own smart speaker platform. Um, but and Baidu are doing a lot of work in this area as well. So um, yeah, they are probably the third place behind Amazon and Google in terms of shipping those actual devices. Um, but Alibaba and Xiaomi uh, are definitely kind of following up pretty heavily and they'll be doing a lot of work again, I think you'll see in the spring around Chinese New Year to really propel that forward. But what's fascinating, obviously, about the Chinese market is that it is entirely different from um, in, in the West and in you know, kind of Central uh, Europe and Asia. Is that these platforms are closed, they are to their own um, you know, kind of category, and they're very much only focused on, on Chinese consumers. But much like with every other category of um, you know, technology, we're seeing more and more people adopting them. And because of the growing middle class, there more people are buying them across different uh, you know, kind of sectors of society, which is meaning that essentially the whole of the Chinese society is becoming uh, you know, kind of enabled by technology, and and voice is definitely a core part of that. But the, the user habits um, are much harder for us. To track because much less data is available on them or what people are actually doing with those devices. And obviously, there is the state um, you know, kind of oversight that all of those companies have to comply with as well, which creates it much more difficult for Western brands to interact in that space. So I think for now, we're definitely seeing growth and interaction in China. We're going to see much more, I'm sure, in terms of their uh, desire to break out of China. I think in particular, if you look at what Xiaomi has been doing in other classes of technology, such as... Uh, cars, mobile phones, and smart um, scooters, for example, where they're beginning to actually have you know, physical retail presences. Um, here in London, in both of Westfield stores, there are Mi stores, which are Xiaomi, the big technology manufacturer's stores, where they're selling their products uh, direct. So it's not to be discounted. There's massively an opportunity there for one of those big players to make it outside of China and grow that brand. But right now, as we you know, see a lot of pressure from um, you know, kind of Asian brands, and particularly uh, obviously the likes of Huawei, which has had a real knock um, in recent weeks and months from what's been happening in the US and Europe when it comes to their mobile phones and also the network infrastructure for the 5G rollout, both here in the UK and also the US. Um, you know, it might be harder for some of those Chinese brands to break out and actually really make an impact on the global stage because there is so much um, you know, kind of worry that if you begin to, you know, let alone people being worried that Amazon or Google might be listening to you on your home or watching you on your webcam, start offering that up to the likes of Xiaomi, Alibaba, and Baidu, and you're in a whole nother ball game. So I think that that's one of the big things that we watch for in the market is that China definitely is leading the way in terms of showing new ways of using these things. But whether that any of those brands can truly make the leap um, is yet to be seen. You know, I, I agree. And what's interesting though, I've begun to see Alipay, WeChat, and Union payments. So Paul Smith here in the UK accepts all three Chinese payment systems. It won't yeah. surprise me if I had a uh, Chinese smart assistant that I could go to a Paul Smith site and order from it. So 
you it's a it's a massive uh, consumer market so we can't ignore those devices if you're a retailer or or a producer or a supplier of any sort no, you can't you can't ignore them, but I think particularly it's um, relevant for you mentioned Paul Smith, good example, you know, kind of brands that have a more luxury presence or a more upmarket presence. Uh, that's definitely important for, for them because you know, these are Chinese consumers that are willing to shop internationally, pay for the premium and also are looking for luxury goods from Western brands as a status symbol. So accepting things like Alipay um and you know um you know, kind of t- taking those kind of Chinese brands onto your own platform is, is something you might want to consider. Um, but when it comes to voice in the smart assistant market, I think there's still a long way to go before we begin to see that really break out. Okay. Now, one one thing Amazon announced this morning or yesterday was the fact that they've created an Alexa um, for Hindi now, the Indian national language, which is amazing. Um, so I think they're already in Germany, Spain, uh they're in Japan, India. They were in India, but they had uh, English or Indian English because they localized it. Talking to David Idzbiski, who uh, is the chief evangelist and yep. your keynote speaker, I think, at, at the Voice Summit, uh, he said one of his core tests. He is indeed. Yeah, that's back again. Uh, great guy. Um, one of the things he said was that, you know, they, they really work on the culture of Alexa as a voice um, because they really want her at the moment to be you know localized so that it's not an american import into a country so it'll be fascinating to see how they do hindi and how that comes across (laughs) yeah Uh, but india i I think it's a a really well no i think it's a really it's a really good thing that they're doing i was in mumbai um earlier this year and talking to a lot of people who work in the entertainment industry and in bollywood around voice and smart assistants and where they saw the opportunity in India right now, Google Assistant leads the way by a long way in terms of device adoption because of Google Assistant on the mobile phone. Yeah. And again, I think we should always remember when talking about voice, we're not just talking about smart speakers. Smart speakers are one class of device where voice is, is present. But what we're actually seeing is that the smart speaker usage on the mobile phone is growing rapidly and is accelerated by people who have smart speakers. But in markets where smart speakers aren't necessarily the default device that people use their voice on, the mobile phone is king. And so in India in particular, we've seen that Google Assistant has been much more and widely adopted because of cheap Android smartphones that use um, and utilize the Assistant. And one of the big problems for Alexa and for Google, uh, sorry, and for Amazon has been this lack of international languages in, inside India. Um, and you know, I think the introduction of Hindi is going to help, you know, kind of one in five you know, kind of um, Indian uh, speakers uh, you know, speak at least Hindi as either their primary or secondary dialects. And I think that's going to help massively uh, for the diaspora as well. Um, as people try and kind of seek that, but it's not going to cover everyone. And so I think that you know, Amazon have been shrewd in doing this in, in working with uh, Hindi to begin with, because it will obviously help them with the uptake predominantly from upper and middle class families um, you know, that are living in the primary cities um, that you would expect. But India is a massive growth market for voice. Amazon have a huge presence there, both in, in Hyderabad and Mangalore. And uh, we're seeing um, lots of our development community that we work with um, coming from those places. Our, our Vix and Labs, we use a team of Indian developers based in Delhi who are absolutely fantastic and some of the most skilled developers that we've ever come across um, in this area. So I think that we're definitely seeing India is going to be one of the big growth markets. And what's fascinating is that in these emerging countries where um, the technology is being developed primarily for them, 
is that we're seeing new leaps happen at the same time as infrastructure is being upgraded. I was in the Mumbai train station and you see that for the first time just in the past year, they've introduced automated ticketing. So you can actually go and buy a kind of ticket on a smart card, which for many of us would be a very normal thing, like an Oyster card or something like that. But because that that infrastructure has now come in and GPS has been added to the trains, they can actually know when the trains are arriving. So you can imagine that smart speakers and voice can really help with that experience that you're not going to be late anymore. You're going to know when the train's arriving because not only is voice coming in, but at the same time, new infrastructure like GPS is being added to the train system. So you know, we see that that's a massive opportunity for markets like India where they are first, you know, um, for the first time getting some of these new technologies coming through and then voice is becoming the layer on top of those technological leaps that helps them actually you know, build interaction <coughs> with those things. So I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity there for, for those markets. Yeah, there was a great case study of uh, an old Indian lady who can't read, um, but she... <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, there's a... I have turned all my notifications off and they still come through. It's amazing. Um, the, the, there's a case study of a, a, an Indian lady who can't read but obviously can speak. And she used the Hindi version of Alexa. And for the first time, she was able to interact with technology. So, and again, it's an amazing enabler, I guess. Yeah, and I think that that is something that we see in all different, um, not just you know, in kind of international markets, but we see that here at home as well. Is that you know, one of the fascinating parts of this whole um, voice technology debate is the accessibility angle of it. And you mentioned earlier on that iOS, iOS 13, which is the new update to the Apple operating system, which is coming um, to market, I think, uh, later in September. It's currently in beta for those people that are on the developer program. Um, allows you to begin to control your device entirely with your voice. Um, now, it's positioned as an, uh, as an accessibility feature, um, but it's particularly helpful not just for people who have disabilities, either with impaired sight or sound or vision, um, but actually also for those people who find technology uh, sometimes intimidating or uh, scary in some way. And that's why we're seeing actually a big push from both main platforms, um, in you know, being the Alexa and, and assistant platforms, in helping the, um, older people People in the community get voice technology into their home because it is an enabler for the first time. I was speaking actually with my friend um, Alice, who runs the community uh, liaison there from Google, about how she gave her 98-year-old grandmother earlier this year an Alexa, uh, sorry, a Google Assistant device. She works for Google. She works for an assistant, <laughs> and um, and she was telling us the story about how for the first time her grandmother was able to relive music that she had never, um, you know, that she hadn't heard for yeah. you know, 50 years, tracks and songs that she was able to suddenly just ask Google Play or Spotify to play back. And because she would never have had a mobile phone, she never had a computer where she could access those songs via something like Spotify on her own. Um, she would always have had to have asked somebody else to do it. All of a sudden, she has this ability to get the music that she remembers from previous generations, the music that was lost to her entirely before. And she can recall that entirely through her own voice back to the speaker and listen to it all in one go with no one helping her um, other than someone coming in to literally unbox the, the device in the first time, plug it in and turn it on. And isn't that an amazing thing that you know more and more older people being able to interact with the internet in some cases for the first time, the first time that they can ask for you know, my own grandmother, I can think of the 90-year-old you know, grandmother at home, but still living on her own, perfectly capable. But for now, she can order an Uber. 
she can get around. She can have food delivered to her if she wanted to. Or Absolutely. none of those things she would have felt able to have done. She could have done it. She's a smart cookie. Yeah. But she would never. But Just in case she's listening. <laughs> in case you're listening, that's, uh, that's you I'm talking about. But you know, she would never have felt able or, or felt allowed in some cases to do those things because the mobile phone w- wasn't for her. But these devices are, and I think that that's what we're um, you know, pretty passionate about at Vixen Labs is you know, helping people who are also looking for these new use cases where we can have some social good through uh, the development of voice technology that it could have a real impact for those people that need accessibility um, you know, in their technology and, and could in many cases be the first opportunity that people will have to interact with the internet. Yeah, my, my, my dad's unfortunately not with us anymore, but when he, I had got him an iPad and it was just too complex, he just couldn't understand it. He would have loved to have an, an Alexa because he would have played Indian music. He, I would have got him the Hindi version of Alexa even. Um, and yeah. he would have loved that as well. But he also, you know, as you said, he would have played music that he hadn't played for years. Um, but just also the, 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 the simple features like drop in, which would have allowed him to talk to me quite yes. easily. Um, I would have probably got him a visual version of Alexa so he could see me as well it would be easier um i remember he once fell over um and my morning routine was disrupted so i didn't go and see him at the normal time an hour later i turned up and i found him on the floor he couldn't really get to anything um had he had an alexa i think there was a skill that came out years ago called the buddy skill which he would have just shouted out alexa call buddy and it would have done a three-way call out me my wife and whoever exactly so i think that we're seeing that you know those things that we once would have otherwise thought as being kind of science fiction are increasingly kind of becoming science facts we're seeing them actually come into fruition i think if anyone watched the absolutely fantastic um bbc one series that recently just aired uh, years and years which kind of looked forward five-year increments of this one family and you know you saw as that went forward that the voice assistant that they had in their home, which I think had a, a, a fake name called Senior, but did uh, look <laughs> remarkably like an Alexa device. Um, you know, it became such an integral part of their family life, being able to open up these kind of shared ambient phone calls with all the different members of the family, being able for the 90, in that case, the 90-year-old grandmother to, you know, be able to be in touch with her multi-generation family. You know, we're definitely seeing these things go from being something that we could have just once dreamed of to actually being possible pretty consistently and in some way that people can do without an awful lot of help to get up and running with, which I think is one of the most crucial parts of this whole debate. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, talking about that uh, use case in years and years, how long do you think it's going to be before we get the um, Babelfish, the the uh, Star Trek communicator, the auto-translate one voice what, what, to another voice yeah. language? We see yeah, we see early early versions of that already. So Google announced um, something called the Pixel Buds last uh, last year, the year before last, um, with the I think it was with the Pixel Two phone that was released, and these are essentially um, headphones that you pop in and they use the Google Translate feature to use the microphone, listen to what the somebody is saying to you, and basically do that live translation into your ear. You speak back, and then you show them it on their phone what's going on. So we're seeing apps that can basically do this already. Um, through smart speakers, I think that we're going to see that more and more. But voice-wise, you know, we're already seeing people beginning to do that. And I think that that is um, definitely on the cards. It's not far away. All we have to do is you know, kind of keep pushing this agenda of getting more people um, comfortable with using this technology. 
And I'm sure we'll come to d- debate the kind of privacy issues um, in the not too distant future. But you know, the, the thing that we need if we really want those things to come about is for more people to use these things more openly and be okay with the, the level of um, you know, kind of data that they are sharing. Now, that's a, a question that everyone has to consider individually. But um, you know, if we actually want the future, the science fiction stuff to come to light, you know, we actually need more data. We actually need more kind of people giving over data to these companies to help them amass that and manage it because otherwise we'll never get enough intelligence to power these engines fast enough to be able to cope with something like you're describing, like that kind of Babelfish type of idea. So we are in a, an interesting kind of dichotomy there of like, we want our own individual privacy, we want our own security, but yet we want the things that we've seen in Star Trek, we want the things that we've seen in Star Wars, we want them to come to, we want that kind of Jetsons AI lifestyle. And if we really want it, then we have to be willing to give up um, some of those you know, kind of data freedoms that we would otherwise hope to hang on to, or find you know, kind of disaggregated um, you know, kind of ways where they're not managed by central corporations to be able to do that. Because if we don't have those things and we don't actually have these big systems to manage it, we're never going to get there. And, and that's, I think, a, a problem everyone wrestles with. Yeah, I mean, everyone worries about the fact that Alexa or Google is always listening. And then you get the story that comes out that says, actually, we were listening or we were taking the transcriptions and we are looking at them and we're using that. And now what people then do, like the headline red tops like the sun, go, you know, Google's listening to everything you do. But actually what they don't explain is why they're doing that. So, for example, to make them more intelligent, they have to make them, they have to train them, they have to take the data. Um, and so we get... And I, think pe- we should, and I think we should clear up that myth right away. Go right, for Sam, it. Go for it. The, the, the myth, bust, myth busting alert, right? Um, is that, you know, so are these devices listening to me all the time? I get that question in every room I walk into to talk about this topic? And the answer is yes and no. So you yes, cleared that these up. Devices are listening. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me clear it up. In yes, these devices are listening for something. Yes. They're listening for the wake word, the word that makes you turn them on. But what they're not doing is capturing all of your conversation and sharing it with the, the providers that you've done, that you've chosen. They are capturing... The, the ambient sound and listening for a trigger word. And when that trigger word hits, then they start listening to what you've asked for and then start passing that back to the companies. But they are not capturing you all the time. And if you really want to test this, just go look at your internet traffic on your router. If you've got the ability to look at your speed test or go and open up the, the program settings on your internet router at home and look at how much data is going up and down. If your data was being collected all the time and being constantly transferred back to these systems, it would be running hot like you've never known. Like you would literally have like your own personal you know, heater in the corner of the room because your router would be on fire that much. It's not doing it. But what it is doing is looking for those opportunities where it thinks it's heard something and turning on and then passing that data back. And that's a powerful thing. Now, whether or not we actually want to move towards a mode where Google and you know, Amazon and others are truly always listening to you, that's where assistance could potentially get massively more helpful. And um, we can actually have that less artificial and much more intelligent intelligence. <laughs> because imagine if, the, if they, they were actually listening to you all the time, they'd be able to make suggestions without you asking them. They'd be able to um, you know, know that you were going to ask for an Uber and have already been pre-checking whether or not someone's available or already beginning to make suggestions of things you might need to add to your shopping list because you were discussing what you were going to have for dinner that evening. And many, many more things besides that can potentially provide us lots of utility, save us lots of time, and be very creative ways of using the technology. But if you want that to happen, 
then you have to be willing to have them listen to you. And I think you know there, there's two sides to this debate every time. There's you know the very much the um, you know the, the kind of positive utopian version, and then the black mirror dystopian version. <laughs> and I like, I like to think that I try and be the optimistic skeptic that sits in the middle, um, because we don't yet know which way these things are going to go. But what we do know is that if you really want more utility, they need more data. There's no bones about it. Yeah, no, I, I'm firmly on the, you can have as much as you want from me practically because it adds value. You know, um, Gmail, you know, they turned it off, I think, recently where it used to look at your um, emails and look at information and then be able to say, oh, your flight to Holland, it's just been delayed by an hour because it knows that you had a ticket to go to Holland. But if you take that away, its ability, it can't help you anymore. It becomes a dumb assistant. Or should I say it becomes Siri? Um which is really what Apple's doing. It has focused on privacy first and therefore can't actually be a useful assistant in many ways. That's very true. They've actively tried to cut down on the amount of privacy, um, you know, kind of intrusion that they uh, commit through Siri. At the same time, lots of, you know, it's much more reliant upon what you have put on your device. And so therefore, if you have enabled apps, if you've installed things, if you've got things in your email and calendar, then Apple's still going to look at those things and, and gather it back and send it to you. Um, but it's just not passing it back to some central engine where it's comparing it to millions of others, and uh, unless you've opted into sharing diagnostics and analytics with them. So there's definitely a difference there. But uh, you know, to your point, is that if you really want these people to give you services and, and solutions that really help you in your everyday life, you kind of have to be willing to give up certain amounts of that privacy. Now, at the flip side of that, there obviously are security concerns, and it wouldn't be um, right to just kind of paper over those. You know, we do have to be considerate that most of these big companies are run at the moment by predominantly benign dictators, and you know, particularly in the the, the shape of Jeff Bezos or um, you know, Google's slightly different organizational structure. But whatever way you look at it, these are still run by companies, and those companies are not governments. They're not necessarily held to the same regulations, and they operate across borders. And so we are operating on a large degree of faith and trust that they are um, acting in our best interest, but they are not dutifully bound to do so. Um, they're still there primarily to make money. And so you know, at the moment, we feel comfortable about them. But uh, I think the the big test will be if these companies make the leap from being single generation to multi generational companies that we've had of years gone by that you know, Henry Ford corporations and, and Coca Colas of the world have managed to survive multiple generations of ownership, organizational structure, and management structure, um, and remained you know kind of leaders in their field and, and remained high in levels of consumer trust and adoption. Can Google? Can Facebook? Can Amazon do that? We don't yet know. And we may not yet know for some time. And by which time that it becomes the time that we have to make those tests, it may already be too late for these companies to un-ingrain themselves from our lives. So I think it's still worthwhile coming with a healthy dose of skepticism and particularly as we see um, these companies operate on the scales of governments and operate with, in many cases, across borders without necessarily the right you know, regulatory checks and balances in place to be able to control them um, or break them up. And I think that this next presidential election cycle in the US is going to be uh, actually have much more impact on the world and many of us 
um, than we've even seen in what's happened with uh, the election of Trump the first time around, or whether or not he stays in government. But particularly if the likes of Elizabeth Warren get what they've been asking for, the Democratic candidate, uh, in terms of coming in and actually breaking up some of these companies, that could have far-reaching um, ramifications for many of us using these products around the world, not just in the US. So it's important that we pay attention to these issues and that you know consumers themselves stand up and lobby for change where they want it. Because if they don't, then we're never going to get the change we want to see. Brilliant. Well, look, we're, we're fast approaching the news. Um, after the news, I have got a gazillion questions for James. Um, I want to talk about SEO. I want to talk about advertising within it. I want to talk about female voices being shouted at. Um, I want to talk about please and thank you. Uh, there is so much more to talk about. Also, how do you build these skills and many, many other questions? We'll be back after the news with James uh, from Vixen Labs. See you soon. You're listening to Sam Talks Technology, the UK's number one technology show. At least, that's what Sam told me to say. Indeed I did. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Uh, I hope you had a little break because... Uh, I think James probably blew most people's brains. That was amazing, the first half, James. Thank you very much for that. Um, but we are going to go much, much deeper now because uh, I think we're going to get into some of the more um, topics that I think are really beginning to test where we are with voice. So one of the first areas I want to discuss is voice SEO. Um, one of the things that I've observed is using my Echo Dot. Um, if I wanted to go and, let's say, Google the local pub or the local Chinese restaurant. If I have a visual screen like my phone or a laptop, I get three ads, 10 ads down the side and 10 results. If I do that on a voice assistant, I don't want three ads before I get the answer. I certainly don't want 13 ads and I certainly don't want 10 results. So how is Google going to manage the transition from its cash cow, which is fundamentally getting people to pay for advertising for contextual search results to a voice assistant that really can only give you one, maybe two results and they're not paid for. How do we, how's Google going to do that? Yeah, it's a really good question, Sam. And this comes up in our conversations with clients at Vixen Labs all the time. Um, you know, voice search is something that people are really concerned about because when you go from having, like you say, the 10 blue links that we're all familiar with, um, whether some of those are paid for, some of those are you know, through hard work of making sure that your, your website is showing up in those first pages of Google. I think of my wife's business, for example, my wife. Uh, Holly runs a, a wedding consultancy, uh, Revel Events. If you need a wedding planner, go shout out. <laughs> um, but, if you, uh, but by example, if you go hit the you know, the front page of Google for wedding planner in London, you're going to find her really quickly. She's she's right there on the fir- the front page, but she's not always necessarily the top results because of whatever combination of keywords you put in. And obviously, in a voice only ecosystem, the, if you ask the question of "Hey, recommend me a wedding planner in Marlowe," or "I'm getting married." You know, in I don't know, I'm getting married somewhere in the Cotswolds. You know, find me a wedding planner. You know, if she's not the first result, you're not going to hear all of the other options. You're going to get that first result come right back to you. Maybe the first two, depending on the day or the, the search. And so this is becoming a really important thing for um, all companies of all sizes and individuals to really think about. 
Um, if someone is searching for you, this matters. Because if you think that a quarter or a sixth or however many people it is in the country um, are now beginning to have these devices in their home and are using them to search for local information, to search for directions, opening times, uh, or just general information about your business, and you're not the, the answer to that question, you've got a problem on your hands because one of your competitors is going to be there. So whether you're a local boutique, a wedding planner, a radio station, or a voice-first consultancy based in London, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, it, it does matter. Um, and so we're, one of the, the ways that we're helping businesses combat that is to better understand, well, what is it that the algorithms are searching for? So it's different for different platforms. Um, you know, when, when you're on the Google platform, you a lot of it is influenced by the pre-existing Google algorithm. And so just working harder at your SEO may be the answer. Um, but buying more link ads, for example, is not going to necessarily solve the problem because those ads aren't currently served up on the Google platform. On Alexa, it's a bit of a different game. We're seeing more and more companies and organizations have their data integrated into the app, uh, Amazon ecosystem natively. Many people may have seen the headlines last week, uh, rather inflammatory and unfortunate headlines, in my opinion, that um, at the NHS uh, Choices um, NHS Direct website have been integrated with Amazon so that if you're asking for health data, you're going to get that directly from the NHS. Now, for those that worry about that, just to clear it up, Amazon is not collecting your health data. Alexa is not diagnosing people. It's, it's all coming from the NHS. But that's an example where you know, this data is being um, aggregated by these platforms. For most people, the way of getting found on Alexa is building an Alexa skill or one of these voice apps that has been specifically designed to answer conversational questions that people are going to ask. So take the example of uh, my wife's business, again, the wedding planner. If I have built an Alexa skill that answers the question, um, who is the best wedding planner in London? And Revelry Events has been answered as the question of, well, well, Revelry Events is the best wedding business in, in London, come and use them. And I've built a skill for that. Amazon is going to be more likely to route people to that answer from their skill. So it's kind of like the early days of having an app on the App Store. So you go to the App Store and search for a banking app and your Santander app is there, but your Barclays app is not there, then that might be a decision for you on which bank you might choose to go with. And it's much more similar to that in the Alexa ecosystem today. When it comes to Google, like I say, though, it's much more about winning the search algorithm across the board and trying to make sure that that works really well for you. Um, and that's where people need to be paying attention. But there is this big choice question that if you're not optimizing your website, your presence, your content to be found on these platforms, then you're not going to be found. Somebody else is. Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with everything you just said, and it still doesn't fix the answer in, in the sense, how do you get to be the one answer? So on, what I did do was dig a little deeper. And what I realized on the uh, Amazon ecosystem, they're not using Google, clearly. They're using Yelp. They're using other data sources. So if you want to be optimized to appear on the Alexa ecosystem, you better be optimized for the Yelp platform as a search result. And, and, and it's, it's going to be... definitely true. If you're a local, for example, if you're a local business um, and you've got a physical location, uh, then Yelp is definitely going to be one of the things that matters more on, on Amazon. Um, equally, things like your Wikipedia page, for example, if you've not made edits to that or you've not submitted changes to the Wikipedia page about you as an individual, say you're a, a freelancer trying to get work locally um, you know, and there's a Wikipedia entry that is about you, make sure that that's been updated. Make sure that you've submitted updates to the editors and try and get those through. Um, or like you say, optimize for some of these local search 
platforms like Yelp. Um, and also, you know, not neglecting like things like your Google um, location data for your business and also over on Bing Maps as well, because um, Amazon uses Bing, which is the search engine from Microsoft. <laughs> there are other search engines available than Google, just to remind everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and when was the last time you used it? Uh, I'm not going to answer that question. Um, but yeah, yeah um, well, uh, actually, I can answer that question very openly. Every day when I ask my Amazon Echo for things, it's just I'm not using it on a, on a desktop. Okay, fair um, enough. So we are seeing that it's, so it is important to have a holistic view of these things. But I think far and away, particularly for people who are looking at you know, optimizing for voice search, the, the real game right now is to optimize around Google. And, and that's by spending more time and effort and money on Google um, you know, search engine optimization on your website and also beginning to use some of the assistant-specific search-related content options that are available. So, for example, if you've got a website that does how-to videos or step-by-step guides or recipes or has a podcast, these are all specific frameworks you can now add to your website to make sure that the assistant picks up on those um, specifically. Okay. which will help everybody find that content better. Now, you, you talked about making skills, um, and I've got a couple of questions that we're going to go down the road here. First and foremost, um, making a skill, how do you make a skill? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, you can uh, come to a consultancy or an agency to help you build a skill. Um, I happen to run one, so I'm, I'm biased slightly <laughs> in that. I thought um, I'd feed you that option, yeah. Uh, but, but thanks for the plug. I'm going to take that with both hands. But yeah, Vixen Labs would absolutely help you with doing that. But um, more broadly than that, yeah, if you're an individual to begin with, you can definitely get started with making your own skills very, very easily. Um, you can have a play around with something called Amazon Alexa Blueprints, which is the option to basically make little skills and apps that only run on your local devices, the ones that you own in your home. Um, so for example, if you run um, an Airbnb, and maybe you, you let out your flat from time to time or your you know, kind of um, holiday home or something. You could create a little blueprint skill that serves um, people who are visiting that that apartment to get the Wi-Fi data or where's the stopcock to turn off the water or you know, kind of when does the um, post get collected, those types of questions. Um, we also see a lot of people doing that for babysitters and setting up their Alexa to be able to answer questions that a babysitter might need to know if they're around the house. So you can get started doing this. If you want to go graduate to actually building something for your own business um, that you want to do it yourself, you want to hack something together, then um, you can use a number of different tools out there. I'd highly recommend uh, tools such as VoiceFlow um, or Voiceify, which are new startup companies that are entering into this voice space, raising lots of investment capital from venture capitalist firms to get themselves um, helping businesses um, get on board with this. But if you really want to build something that's um, you know, kind of for a substantial business, um, then yeah, working with an agency partner um, is the best way to, to do that. Um, by far, just because this is such an early phase. And because much like in the early days of, of websites, there isn't the equivalent of the Wix or Squarespace um, or, you know, kind of those types of do-it-yourself systems really that are designed for the average consumer or the average internet user. There are these tools that I mentioned that can help people get up and running with building skills and applications, but they still require a certain amount of developer understanding and a certain amount of kind of technical know-how to really kind of dig into it. So if you don't count yourself as one of those people then uh, maybe consider opting into using something um, like one of those those platforms, uh, or obviously, you know, dial up a, your your friendly local voice first uh, agency. <laughs> I'll, I'll go home and see if Alexa's got optimized for Vixen Labs. 
Um, okay, so okay, b- building a skill is a great way to do things. I think we're going to see like websites. In fact, it'll be interesting to see how much more we move away from website development towards voice de- development and and how that works. Because I've got um, a voice assistant in my car. I've got an Alexa assistant. I've got a Rove, and again, so a lot of the functionality I can do at home I can do it on the go now and I've got a voice assistant on my phone so how much do I need a website will be an interesting thing and um, we'll see that but you said something about the app store and and one of the problems I think we've got uh, currently there are 60,000 skills on the Alexa platform in the US 30,000 skills in the UK you know give or take a few um Discovery, that's got to be one of the biggest problems. I mean, how how do you go about, you know, sorting the wheat from the chaff, you know, the long tail of crud that's produced? I mean, I've produced a lot of crud. You know, I, I've, <laughs> you know I'm, I'm the first to admit that I've produced skills that are only really meant for me and, and one other person probably um, to test. But they're there. They're still existing, right? And then you've got the high-end skills. How How is... Google with their actions and Alexa with their uh, skills going to help me with discovery because at the moment the only way to use a skill is to go and load a skill which I think is a bit stupid personally but I'd like to see what your thoughts are. Well so we're beginning to see discovery move forward and there's a couple of different things that are helping people find apps and skills um, over time. When people first set up a device um, uh, that's the first time that most people actually really load up a bunch of skills and try a bunch of different stuff. I'm sure lots of people in the next week or so are going to be uh, you know, trying out a bunch of different skills that they've had promoted to them as they set up their new Echo devices that they bought on Prime Day. We see the same thing in the big bump directly after Black Friday and the same again on Boxing Day and you know, kind of the post-Christmas period. And usually when people do that, they try anywhere between 10 and about 14 skills, about 14 or so on average. That then drops down to people regularly using around about 9 or 10 skills after the first year of them owning those devices. And the reason that drops off is is kind of understandable. People find the things they like. They form habits, as I mentioned in the first half of the show around that. Um, And then they tend to stick with the things that they they like. They don't tend to kind of go shuffling around the, the skills that they use every day. But as people want to find new skills and new things coming to them, there's the big way that people are discovering that is through the platforms doing a lot of work themselves. Brands and, and companies need to do a much better job at marketing these things as products themselves, not just as marketing extensions. I think that that's one big problem we've had. But there's two first um, things that we're seeing in Discovery that's going to help. In the US, something um, is already available on the Amazon ecosystem um, is what, using a very technical term here, but it's called name-free invocation. Name-free invocation. What does that mean? Name-free, as in you don't need to say the name of the app that you need to open. And the invocation is just purely another word for the name of the app. So it's, it's essentially, it allows you to start an app without having to know the specific name of it. And the way that might come about is if you were to say, um, Alexa, um, help me get a pizza. Amazon might say, oh, I've got the domino skill for you and just open the domino skill immediately. Now, at the moment, that only happens on a very short list of apps in the UK, but it's becoming more prevalent and we're expecting that Amazon will open that up later in the year. Um, so that's going to help, as in the, the natural questions that people ask these devices are going to start getting answered by apps and skills, which is a really positive thing. 
The other thing though, and we mentioned it a few times in the conversation, is these visual devices. And so I've got, for example, you, um, you know, listeners can't see this, so I'm going to do the, the magical uh, explanation here, but I have one of the Echo Show devices behind me um, here in the studio. And I can see right now that as it's scrolling through um, a variety of different notifications on the screen, every now and again, it's going to come up with suggestions of things that I can uh, try. So it's at the moment it's saying, Alexa, uh, tell me a life hack, for example, which is going to pull through some, some content. Um, and you know, you're going to get more and more of these different apps being suggested. So if you've used an app recently, it might re-suggest it to you at the time that you last used it. So if you use something every morning, you're going to start seeing these devices prompt you to use them again the following morning. Um, and so you know, discoverability with the aid of the visual um, help you know, that you can get from these new class of devices, I think is going to help with discoverability. And using this artificial intelligence, as more and more people use these devices and user behavior patterns are picked up, much like we're seeing now on the mobile phone, similar things are going to start happening on the voice platform where we get to get suggestions of things we might want to use based upon previous habits and behavior. So I think discoverability is always a problem in the early days. And as you mentioned, because so many of the apps that were created in those early days, that first 30,000 or so apps that are available in the UK right now, or the 60,000 or additional ones that are in the US. Lots of those were little use cases, experiments, people trying stuff out, people doing things for marketing purposes that they put up and then killed off. Um, over time, we're going to get higher quality app creation. And you've actually seen last year, according to data from um, our friend Brett Consella over at VoiceBot, which is a brilliant website all about this, um, is that there has been a drop-off um, in people creating new apps compared to the previous year. Not by a lot, but by a little. But what I point to that is that people have gone past that first early rampant experimentation phase and are being much more considered around what they're building. That all of the, you know, there are now a thousand odd things that you have different ways to make Alexa fart or play a dog sound or open rain music for you to listen to to go to sleep. We're past that point. We're now, and we're past, it's the equivalent of the Carlsberg iBeer app of the early days of the mobile phone, which I'm sure many people remember playing around with, which is essentially a virtual beer glass that you put to your face, you tip back. You used it once in the pub, it was funny and you never used it again. But then, you know, look what's happened to mobile um, over the past decade since that time. So many more use cases, so much more utility has been de developed. We're going to see the same thing in voice. We're still in such... We're not even at the end of the beginning. We're sat that early in the process um, of people developing new things for these devices. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you're right. And going back to what you said about discoverability, about apps being able to uh, be brought in like the Domino's one. They, they recently brought out the ability for you to start one app and then hand over, literally. So it might be, you know, uh, I want to book a restaurant, it's open table, then Uber takes over, and then finally, you know, it might be a flower because you're going to do, go and do something nice with your wife or something. And so the skills are starting to daisy yeah. chain themselves, which is quite nice. But I want to ask you a question. Going back to the problem that I think Google's got, and I, it's just an idea I have in my head. I think we spoke about it previously before, but I love your thoughts again on it. As developers, um, fundamentally, we have keywords that we use today on Google searches. Now, could there be a way that as a developer, I pay for a keyword? So let's give you an example. Uber Eat, uh, Just Eat, and Open Table will compete, maybe Deliveroo will compete for that same audience, right? Um, I want a takeaway, maybe the word I use, right? I don't need to say I want to open Uber Eats to get my takeaway. I just say, I want a takeaway, right? And 
my smart assistant, not this generation, but a couple of generations down the road, goes, actually, uh, my the one that we got most money from, in the same way that Google has three results, maybe, you know, Uber Eats came up first, and then it was second was, you know, uh, delivery. And I might go, I never want to touch Uber Eats. I had a really bad experience. So it goes, okay, that's on your block list. So I'll, I'll pick the second one down. So I'm thinking that's one way that a discoverability will happen because we as uh, users can't really be going load the X skill to do Y solution because I might not know X skill exists, right? But the AI should be intelligent enough to say, actually, do you know what? In my database of skills, we happen to have a skill that does that or might meet your requirement of what you've just asked. Um, and so I'm I expecting... Think, I think there's something... Yeah, I think there's something in that. And I think that we are definitely going to so, say, whether or not you'll ever be able to pay to own those keywords, I don't know. And I think that it's because both the platforms you know, understand that there is a fundamentally different way of interacting with these things when you don't have a visual interface. That, that, that if you're going to get only one answer, that answer being sponsored or paid for in some way, A, they would have to disclose it because people get very angry when they don't know, when, when they don't know that they're being advertised to. And it's just not a great user experience to have that happen. But we're doing that already. With... But we do that already. So well, I, as well, I, I said... Say, but I think on the... Go on. Go on. No, I, I, no, I, I want to hear you out here. We well, no, because I, I said earlier, you know, if, if I use t- Find Me the Local Pub, it uses one data source, which is Yelp. It doesn't use five different data sources. and It doesn't even tell me that it's used Yelp. It just gives me the answers, right? So I'm not even right. being... Yeah told where the source is and i'm just assuming that it's correct so if i then said i want to take away and it gave me the one takeaway service and it worked and i had a good experience and going back to your point about habits i'm okay with that i don't need to think about which one do i want to use do i have an account have i signed in um it's it's the intelligence of the smart assistant that i'm looking for to give me that capability not the worry about I think that's true but I think we make those decisions I think we make those decisions all over the place without really thinking about it anyway the minute that you open up Google Maps and search takeaway you've made the decision to use Google for the choice of service exactly right? you've opted into that but the same way that if you open up Twitter and do a location search or try and pin a location onto your tweets you're actually using Foursquare's data in the background you may not know that but that's the engine that it's using exactly. so if you can't find your location it's because Foursquare don't have it the same thing with Instagram and Facebook location so you, you, we do see that happen what I think though to fundamentally though that is important is that will is it a good conversational experience to have someone advertise to you in the middle of a conversation no it's not and anyone that has ever kind of actually let anyone who knocked on the door to sell them, you know, kind of washing up liquid or whatever it was that you know, kind of door-to-door salesman is. You know, we use this illustration a lot, is that you don't ever invite the door-to-door salesman to dinner, right? Because you don't want to get sold to while you're having your meal. And it's the same situation with, with voice assistants, is that you know, when you invite Alexa or Google Assistant into a conversation in your home or on the phone when you're on the move, the last thing you're asking them to do is come in and sell you something at that time. Now, having the option to make a a decision between something where someone has paid to 
sponsor that slot versus organically made their way there. When you have the visual option of choosing between them, it's fine. But in a conversation, it's just a very different thing. It just feels humanly kind of wrong to us. Mm. You know, it's like when you, you kind of pick up the phone and it's like, oh, it's someone from your mobile phone provider just calling to check in on how things are. And you get halfway through the conversation. And it's like, well, actually, I really wanted to speak to you about upselling you to X service or like we've got these new offers. And then all of a sudden, you want to shut it down, right? Yeah. It's the same exact thing in this conversation. It's just from a human perspective, it just doesn't sit well. With oh, no, I agree. If, so I if, think that if, we will see that screens will make a difference. I think the screen option where you can see the option between, oh, here's a paid-for application you can pick from, or you can use one of these other ones, that's going to happen. I think we already see that in mobile phones. We already see that in the App Store. One thing I would add, though, is that you know, for, for brands and companies that are thinking about building these things, there is a big opportunity here to do this because you know, take ju- your, your takeaway selection, for example. How do you know that Just Eats has a mobile app? How do you know that Domino's has a mobile app? Well, they advertise to you all over the place that their apps exist and that you go and buy them. We need to do the same thing in voice. We need to tell people that these things exist. I don't think that you, know, you, you can't open up a website now from any big company without seeing a bunch of little social media icons in the top right-hand corner or a link out to the app stores um, to go and download a mobile app. You just can't move for it. I think we need the same thing happening in voice. But the easy thing is that you, you can use any bit of collateral anywhere and you don't need a link. You don't need a click tunnel. You don't need a click through or knowing a URL. You just need to know what sentence to say to the thing that's either in your hand, um, he says, picking up his phone, uh, or in the thing that's sat behind you in the living room, uh, office space, or kitchen. And and you just have to say it. Um, And that gives you so many other marketing opportunities, whether that's radio advertising, whether that's advertising on podcasts, whether that is putting the little slip of paper um, through the door, whether it's blazoning the Alexa, open Joe's barbershop over your window display, you know, whatever it might be. Um, There's so many different ways because all you're doing is just asking people to start a conversation. You're not asking them to remember some complicated thing that they haven't done naturally themselves. Yeah, I, I can see how that might happen if, if brands start to advertise load my skill or load my action. Um, okay, we, we're fast, fast running out of time. Um, I've got one last question. Voice commerce, you know, we are we beginning to see things happen? I mean, Nike last week had a Nike trainer, the self-lacing Nike trainer, and they did um, an Ask Nike in the middle of the basketball game and they sold out within, I think, six minutes. You know, so... It, it can work, but is it is it still too early? Are we non-trusting? What's the issue? What's holding back voice commerce? I think that there's still some things to be worked out in terms of the actual user experience of, of buying something with your voice only. Amazon recently changed the setup of buying things on Alexa so that it basically adds it as a saved search to your basket on Amazon rather than actually just buying it directly. But one, because we didn't want people accidentally buying things they didn't mean to, but also just to give people that extra opportunity to choose um, what they're going to purchase beforehand. Um, so I think we will see voice commerce begin to, to rise. We're seeing it particularly in categories where you don't have to do a lot of comparison. Take tickets, for example. Being able to um, buy tickets for a gig. Is Beyonce playing this week? Yes or no? Okay, if she is, then you're already interested. Do you want seats? Is this much? Yes or no? There's no other... Com- like you can only go and see Beyonce play where she plays, right? But when it comes to choosing, say, train tickets or flights, um, there's a lot of comparison that goes on. So we need to balance that out. So I think voice commerce is in its early days, but it's certainly um, a promising field. And particularly for people who have physical products that they can sample or sell 
well, as per your Nike example, we're going to see people adopting to that. But I would say as we kind of come into land, you know, there's so many ways for people to get started in voice. It doesn't necessarily have to be trying to find something to sell. Think of all of the different ways that you might have a conversation with a consumer and that's where you need to start from. God, uh, I, I could do another hour with you, James. It, it, there's so much on world. We haven't talked about sonic branding, use of tone, use of brand, which I know we, <laughs> we had. I've got things like v- Vodafone One I wanted to talk to you about, shop screen notifications, the green ring. There's so much more. We've run out of time, though. Uh, James, all I can say is thank you, thank you so much for your time today. It's been brilliant. Brilliant. 